1: Welcome to The Playlist Podcast, a weekly discussion of films and TV. I'm your host, Charles Barfield, Managing Editor of The Playlist. And this week, as always, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Mike D'Angelo and Brian Farver. How are you guys doing? I am doing so
0: very, very good. How about you two? How are you doing?
2: Great. Happy holidays, fellas. (laughs)
1: happy happy holidays yes (laughs) this week we're going to be discussing the stand it's the new series that aims to adapt stephen king's classic post-apocalyptic epic and when we say epic we mean it this thing clocks in like 1500 pages and to help us talk about the stand because lord knows we need help especially with the source material we have playlist contributor and our resident king expert warren cantrell welcome to the show warren how are you doing
3: I am great. My nips could cut glass. I'm so excited.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good, because I was going to ask if you're ready to grace us with all your stand knowledge.
3: More than ready, my friend.
1: Great. So uh, I also want to let everybody know that we are going to also have an interview with the showrunner of The Stand, Benjamin Cavill. He's going to talk all things The Stand. goes really in-depth. It's a great interview, and that will be at the end of our discussion. So make sure you stick around for that. But before we talk about global disasters that results in the death of most of the human population, I got to tell you that The Playlist Podcast is part of The Playlist Podcast Network, which includes The Discourse, Be Real, The Fourth Wall, and more. And as always, if you want to find us, you can check your podcast app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, anywhere else. So, as I said before, we're going to talk about The Stand. The Stand is a nine-part CBS all-access streaming series that was co-created by filmmaker Josh Boone and writer-producer Benjamin Cavill. The series tells the story of the end of the world, which is brought on by a flu-like virus nicknamed Captain Trips. Yes, it's very similar to COVID, but the story doesn't dwell too much on the pandemic. It really picks up speed when two opposing forces, one led by Mother Abigail and another by Randall Flagg, begin recruiting survivors in an attempt to, well, lots of stuff. We're going to get to that. The series stars, and I got to take a deep breath. James Marsden, Amber Heard, Greg Kinnear, Odessa Young, Henry Zaga, Whoopi Goldberg, Giovanna Adepo, Owen Teague, Ezra Miller, Nat Wolf, and Alexander Skarsgård, among many, many more. It's a huge stacked cast. Before I throw it to you guys, I also want to let everybody know that we are going to avoid spoilers for the show. We've been lucky enough to see up to episode six of the nine, and we're not going to get too far deep into... Specific spoilers. So there's nothing that's going to be majorly spoiled. With all that finally said, let's go to Warren. Tell us your initial thoughts about the series. Try to leave the book comparisons out for now. What did you think?
3: I think it's a really, really valiant attempt to wrap hands around something that is obviously, and and a lot of people are talking about this, a massive source material. We're talking about 1100 plus pages. And in nine hours, which seems like a lot of time until you, you start getting into the nitty gritty of introducing, you know, 12 main characters and a um, global pandemic, it might seem like a a lot of time to do that. But uh, really, there there is quite a bit to get through. And in this series, I think the people who have asked me about it, because friends of mine known who I have gotten the chance to see this like you guys up through the sixth episode is that it's sort of like if in, instead of the classic example of trying to eat an apple in one bite or even trying to eat an apple one bite at a time. I see this series as sort of peeling that apple and then coring that apple and then dicing that apple into say like six or seven pieces so that you can uh, very enjoyably consume uh, one little bit at a time. This uh, series, unlike the source material, unlike the previous miniseries, doesn't attempt to tackle this in the same sort of chronological linear fashion as before. It attempts to you know slowly introduce characters, but also kind of sneak in a broader overview of what's going on in the story Months and months after the pandemic, so that by the time the main conflict uh, comes to the fore, you don't have four or five hours introducing you to that. Uh, rather, you are already up to speed by the, the third or fourth uh, hour, and that you can just wade right into the central conflict, which is you know quite grand. It's forces of good versus evil, that sort of thing. So, I think you know when all is said and done, this uh, miniseries has done quite an admirable job in in condensing and and making very um, you know, tough shortcuts and condensations into a a very palatable and consumable experience.
1: Okay, great. So, Mike, Brian, Warren's obviously read the book. Have either of you guys read the book?
0: I have not read the book. I have not seen the 94, like, miniseries or movie or whatever it was. I only know it, uh, you know, kind of in some of the outer references that people have made to it, either in other works or maybe in satire or whatever it is. So I am a a complete stand virgin and I'm happy, happy to be wading into it finally with what seems to be a a solid version to, to wrap one's head around. Uh, Well, do you
1: just want to continue and let us know what you thought?
0: Uh, No okay well, <laughs> moving on <laughs> no I'm, I'm thinking it's pretty good so far like you said, we've seen six of the nine with each episode that goes by as someone who who has no clue what actually is is gonna happen, I've become more and more interested so the the first episode seemed very much like you know uh, mostly about the experience with the virus, the captain trips of it all and and that, I can someone explain to me why on earth someone would call a virus captain trips and everybody just accepts it. Like <laughs> yep, that's what we're calling it. The whole world is going to call this. Captain. Warren, trips. do you have an
3: answer for this? I do. It is a reference to a grateful dead song. It makes total sense in 2020. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not a Deadhead. Uh, I, I don't know the specific reference into which song or which lyric, but I do know that it is specifically drawn from a lyric and a, and a grateful dead song. And that, um, probably and, meant and I more feel terrible. Than i'm captain your keen Day. expert and i can't tell you why necessarily it's called captain trips except <laughs> that it is a grateful dead reference but
1: well the, no that's, that's deadhead but see you you mentioned that because it's not referenced in the show why it's called captain trips it just mm. is called captain trips which is a very strange name brian what were your initial thoughts on this and what is your knowledge of the stand
2: yeah knowledge of the stand i mean growing up my dad was and still is a, a, just a massive fan of the the miniseries the original miniseries and the book so I've kind of grown up with that I mean that said I didn't see really anything from either the book or the original movie for quite quite some time I, I would see a little snippets here and there and then finally as I got older I'd watch you know a few chunks I'd read a few pages if I think we had a copy of the stand. I don't remember, but you know, just kind of trying to figure out what was going on. And, and that was, e- even that was tough. I mean, we <laughs> <you> were literally
0: <laughs> trying to like, leaf through the stand
2: i i was and it was it, it it didn't help because like the same thing would happen when like the movie would be on like okay what's happening here okay that's not like you can just jump right into it you know no
1: yeah There's yeah this no is way. definitely a story you have to start at the beginning and exactly,
2: so, exactly. starting at the
1: beginning not skipping yeah. through and no no your dad trying to force it on you what do you think
2: yeah i'm i'm enjoying it and i going into it I I had a feeling that there were that there were going to be things that I would enjoy. I mean, first of all, when I saw the cast, I was pretty impressed. I mean, there are some people in there. James Morrison, in particular, uh, I just just love the guy. Big sugar a and beautiful spice, beautiful man. Fan. Yes, so that was was very attractive. And then, yeah, I mean, just the fact that they were taking a crack at this, you know, like like you said, Warren. I mean, th- this the amount of pages in this book. How are they going to do this? It really is. It's very well suited for a multi-episode event sort of thing. So I like what I'm seeing. I mean, full disclosure, I'm not as far. I'm only up to episode four. Th- there are things that I like, and you mentioned something off mic about, you know, that that something's going to happen that is going to kind of help move things along a little bit, which I like to hear because it, it's good, but also I would say inconsistent a little bit in terms of quality. I mean, yeah, Mike, I have the same questions as you. Um, <laughs> Mainly I, about
0: Captain Trips.
2: <laughs> yes, and I was not about to. I, I had a you know moment where well maybe I should just just read the book or at least read some sort of detailed synopsis of the book before I even attempt to watch this thing. And I did not. I wanted to go in as fresh as possible because it's been a while since I've seen her. Read anything from the stand, but that said, yeah, I I like certain parts of it. Certainly not the best King thing I've ever seen, but it's it it's fine so far. But I feel fair like enough. It's, I feel like it's getting better. That okay, we're sorry. we're
1: gonna keep the uh, the King rankings till later because that's something you gotta answer every time you watch a King anything. Yes. Just a segue into my thoughts on this quickly. I. Again, we're we're dancing around spoilers, but just as an overview to give the listener who may have only seen one episode when this podcast airs, the first four episodes really are the setup. And I would say if this was in movie terms, the first four episodes are kind of act one. And it's can be tough, especially if you're watching this week to week to to really find yourself invested in these characters. However, I will say, having watched six of them, Really, at episode five, there's a shift in just about everything. Uh, Not the tone so much, but you get a new location. You get a bunch of really interesting characters, for lack of a better term. And you're also introduced to the larger story in a much clearer way. The first four episodes definitely feel that setup fatigue. You are trying to take a 1,200-page, 1,500-page book, and you're trying to condense that to nine hours. There are things that are going to be rushed, but you still have to set up, like Warren said, like a dozen characters. And to do that properly, to give them their time, to give them their backstory so you know these names, it takes some time. I I liken it to the first season of Game of Thrones. You watch the first season of Game of Thrones, and it can be overwhelming. Names come and go. Characters are mentioned stories are thrown at you and it takes a little bit to settle in. And I think that this show, it takes about four or five episodes to really settle in. So that being said, a lot of you guys won't get the same luxury that we did where we could binge them. So if you're unimpressed by the first episode and I hate to be that guy, cause I hate when people say this, but <laughs> please watch more than one episode before you make your judgment. Definitely watch two or three.
3: So I think that's a really good uh, comparison. That first season of, of Game of Thrones, because for a lot of people watching that, people who hadn't read the books, and, I, and I'm one of them. I mean, there's a lot going on there. I mean, you're you're learning about you know different areas of the world, different families, different houses, and yeah, no, I, I think that's a really really good comparison. Yeah, and and I think what
1: it is is uh, again ju- just like Game of Thrones, you're you're introduced to various places. There's a guy from Texas. There's a guy from Maine, obviously, because this is Stephen King. There are people from other parts of the world and they all kind of come together in this, you know, it's natural the way they all come together in a supernatural way, but it makes sense, I should say. And it just, it kind of, it doesn't hold your hand as much as it, it probably wanted to. I mean, I'm sure if Josh Boone and, and Benjamin Cavell had their druthers, they would have 25 episodes to tell this story, but they just don't. So what you're left with is, a series that jumps around in time chronologically. You get some flash forwards, you get some flashbacks that can also take some time to get used to. At one point I was watching this with my wife at one point, she was unsure of what we were watching was present day or past. And that kind of took her out for a moment. We had to pause and I had to catch her up on that. And yeah, you jump from pandemic story to post-apocalyptic to new settlement and it's, it can be a lot. So, so definitely uh, take your time with it and, and, you know, enjoy it and let it kind of just soak in.
0: Yeah, they got a lot of a lot to cover in those first four episodes. And and you'll be thankful by the time you hit those the fifth and sixth that you kind of stuck it out and you have all this information to rely on. I've, I've seen a lot of comparisons to the show Lost in recent reviews that have yes. dropped. Yes. Uh, and I definitely concur in that there is some vibe to it that may be a little Lost-esque. But they don't really have the luxury of of lazily kind of drifting about and setting up a bunch of mysteries that need to be uh, uh, solved, you know, right off the bat. Plus, it's a, it's, obviously, it's a very different story at, at
4: that, the crux. Of it.
3: And then, Mike, I think you make a really good point because I've also seen in, in some of the coverage of the series a lot of comparisons to Lost. And whereas um, with, with Lost, I think they were doing that because they kind of thought it was cool where they Mm -hmm. thought that this storytelling structure would just be kind of novel or kind of an interesting way to introduce these characters. I really do think that uh, Benjamin Cavell and and the writers are doing it with purpose. And I think that's what's important with any kind of literary adaptation. Are you making these changes because of a reason, whether it be, you know, condensing characters or for, you know, trying to bring the, the plot into a more consumable sort of time frame? Or are you doing it just because it's fun or because it's mm-hmm. just, you know, yeah. oh, this is a clever way of me introducing these characters and, and kind of keeping the audience on, um, you know, on edge. And I think in this instance with uh, Mr. Cavell and with the stand, I think there is intention here. I think that they're trying to parse out a 1150 page story in a consumable way. And that this isn't just a gimmick or a device. This is them trying to condense this information in a consumable way.
0: Yeah. It, it's all in service of the story.
3: Sure. Obviously, sure. Yeah. you
0: want to get to know the characters, and you mm-hmm. want to see, you know, certain moments, but you also don't want to just drudge through it in in chronological order as yeah. as the book does, or as the apparently the ninety four version yeah. does as well.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah. I'm 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 thankful that you kind of bounce around because it it allows you to kind of get a peek at where things are headed. Keeps you invested, but I, I will say, as things went along with each episode, I was that much more interested. So by the time we got to six, and we were, were at the end of the sixth episode, I'm I'm kind of dying to see what happens, and now we right? have to wait with everybody right? else.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah. The sixth episode actually ends on a bit of a cliffhanger, and it, it's pretty incredible.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I I was just for comparisons here, and you know, you mentioned the lost thing, Mike, and I I'd seen that too. I was thinking about this. With the state of things right now in the world, with the pandemic, I, I'm watching the show and I felt, even though this show was made prior to the pandemic, I feel like what we're seeing here oh, owes a little bit more, or could be compared a little bit more to The Walking Dead. A little bit. I mean, obviously, very different. Show, I, I got but like, Walking
1: Dead vibes, especially towards okay. the latter few episodes that we watched.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I really like that. And I, I will say say to mike that you know you mentioned how you know things are kind of picking up the pacing from the first episode from what i've seen has been really good you know with the flashbacks and everything i yeah there are things that i i haven't really cared for but at the same time i i'm still engaged which is just that's just good storytelling at that point so yeah there's a lot of things the show is getting is getting right and again this is coming from somebody who like you mike has not really Delved into the book very much at all. So,
1: no, I I think that that's pretty good too. Because again, I I I don't know if I mentioned it. I have never seen the miniseries and I haven't read the book. So, knowing very oh, little, we're about all the in stand, the same
0: boat except for our except our, for Warren, our, our <laughs> <laughs> and, and
1: and on that note, I want to go back to Warren because a couple things. I would love to hear if there were any big misses from the book to the translation to the show as of now, um, without getting any any specifics just overall? Sure. And also, is there anything the show did better?
3: I would say in terms of misses, there aren't many. There are a few characters, and and again, because we're we're trying to stay away from spoilers, I can't go into too many details, but book-wise, people who've read the book and people who have seen the miniseries, I think that there is a little bit of a difference in the character of Nick Andros. Not necessarily for the worst, I think it's just different. There are storytelling decisions and sort of um, the condensing of, of plot points that need to happen in order for this telling of the story to move forward. The CBS All Access version of this to, to move forward and to do so they had to change some characters and, and one of those is Nick Andros. Again, I don't think that it is necessarily for the worse, but uh, it is different. Another one is Franny Goldsmith and, and those who by the time you know this this airs they will have seen the first episode there are differences there in terms of how her character and, and Harold move forward and, and how they interact and, 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 move into the plot, into Boulder. There are differences there. And I don't necessarily think that that is uh, any worse for wear in terms of uh, a, a book to show translation, but there are differences by and large though, as we spoke about before, I think as long as it's done with purpose and in, with intention, I think that those are entirely acceptable changes. And in, this case i think they they service the story and that they make the miniseries better by and large though um there are certain things that are going to make king fans uh raise an eyebrow there are certain um actions and intentions of main characters that are going to be for people who are attached to the original miniseries which was actually a pretty faithful adaptation of the book in the book itself they're going to be a little bit surprised and, and might be a little bit put off but I think once the, the miniseries is over, or certainly through the first six episodes, which some of us have seen, they'll be able to take a step back and say, oh, well, you know, that makes sense. I mean, obviously they couldn't have done X, Y, and Z. So the fact that they combined this or that they, they did this, this, this makes sense. So I, I, I'm pretty happy um, and satisfied with the decisions that uh, Mr. Cavell and, and his writers have made. And I think uh, they, they serve the larger story well and that they, they move it along in a way that in a nine-hour format makes sense.
1: You mentioned a couple of the characters, and, and I want to go to Mike and Brian, as well as you, Warren, but let's go to Mike first. For me, one of the standouts of the series so far has been Amber Heard. I was not a fan of her character early on in this show, but by yeah. episodes five and six, she, she really kind of comes into her own and I think is totally. one of the more fascinating characters. Mike, do you have anybody who
0: in this massive cast who's uh, stuck out in a good way? Yeah, certainly. Uh, there are people who in the cast are just like, I, I think overall, the, the way they casted this show is pretty spot on to what you'd want for these characters. At least that's the way it seems for me. Uh, I'm not sure how Warren feels about that. But, you know, as far as James Martin goes, he he kind of plays that standard James Martin hero or Marsden hero, uh, as it were. And Amber Heard, much like you, I, I did kind of an eye roll when I when I first realized that was her. And then as the the character kind of unfolded and they gave her shades of gray rather than just kind of like a black and white character, I became a lot more attached to uh to her role. Um but I, I will say Owen Teague yeah. is is probably like once they found him for this, which I know he's been in <laughs> other king stuff. But just the way he smiles, you're just like, oh, man, that guy. Joker vibes,
1: what? right? Like, I hate fancats Yeah, Joker, Joker but I, there were moments in this show where I'm looking at that guy and I'm like, yeah, poor guy. He is the creepiest dude I've ever seen in my life. And yes. it, it works so well in the show.
0: He is nailing that. Uh, really but does. I also do want to shout out Nat Wolf, who does a really <laughs> solid job of, of Lloyd. Uh, uh, and, what a fun
1: character. That guy is yeah. having so much fun in this show.
0: Exactly. And,
3: and, and just as a point of reference, um, that is based on interviews that I've read with Stephen King, one of, if not his very favorite character that he's ever written. Lloyd? Lloyd Henry.
1: Uh, says uh, I mean, a lot about Stephen King, I feel like. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure what it's about. When you think Stephen of his over,
3: I mean, think yeah. about all the things that Stephen King has written. The fact that he has singled him out as one of, if not his favorite characters, is astonishing to me. And and it really, it makes me think twice about that character. It makes me think twice about what King is trying to say about that character and about all of our susceptibility to being influenced and, you know, being given that one shot or that one chance. It's, there's so many layers to that character. And the fact that King loves it and holds it so dearly to his heart is infinitely fascinating to me.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Brian. So we're talking about Lloyd and then uh, I want to know your favorite character, but also, Isn't it obvious that anybody who looks into the dreamy eyes of Alexander Skarsgård is going to (laughs) go anywhere with him if he's promised to be his right-hand man? I mean, right? And that
0: hair, I will just say, whoever's whoever's doing it.
2: (laughs) Really quick, and I I, I apologize because I haven't looked this up, but didn't he, he's not... Pennywise is he or is that a difference? That's, that's, it's Scars
3: another Scarsgard. Oh, okay. It's a I brother to Pennywise, though, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yes. yes.
2: Okay. Okay. I just I Bill. just was thank you, gentlemen. But uh yeah, I, I you mentioned Owen Teague, awesome. I mean that and again, I think it's good to be going into this kind of as you know, as virgin as we are, to be able to be exposed to these characters like that. That is a fascinating character. Yeah, you mentioned that smile, and yeah, he's he's absolutely the standout. I could easily, you know, talk for hours about James Marsden, but yeah, you're right, Mike. He's playing the same well, character. Well, we're
1: talking about the stand. I know in your personal life, you can talk about hours of James Marsden, yeah. but
2: I I could I could, <laughs> and that'll be next week. Um, yeah, I'm seeing
1: your notebook poster.
2: Yeah, yeah <laughs> he's he's the best. And uh, your Sonic
1: the Hedgehog, love is well documented on true. this podcast. It's
2: true, <laughs> guys. I. I almost teared up when he started to bounce off of Robotnik's ship at the oh, end. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> just Anybody, like. The
1: game. Okay. Anybody else stand out to you, maybe good or bad?
2: Uh, no. I. I but I will say Amber Heard was a surprise because I. That was the one element of this that I went in thinking, I'll just I'm I'm just gonna you know you shouldn't do that but I was just ready to dismiss her and she's been she's been really good in, in that you know. Surprising me sort of way. Yeah, she's good. Owen Teague and Hurt, I would say, are the two standouts for me. So
1: which which is interesting given the way the story progresses, but I I, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. Also, special shout-outs because this cast is huge. Whoopi Goldberg under the makeup doing mm-hmm. really, really good stuff. And Greg Kinnear playing the vaping like <laughs> yeah. sociology professor that wears Man. like like Hawaiian shirts and shit. Like or and like cardigans. That guy is killing it in this role.
2: I had also, a feeling about him that he would be he'd be really well cast. And he is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, He's pretty great in, in most things.
0: But yes, I, I will say I'm not going to say who it is or what the character is. But <laughs> the the character that debuts in episode six is awesome. <laughs> and <Yes. laughs> Fascinating. And I want to watch just a series about him. Yes. <laughs> uh, so please, CBS, if you're listening, make that show. Well, I think Stephen King has to write it first. I would no, I would, no. I, I just <laughs> let I would let that actor improv that character for ten hours and put it up. That is true. Fascinating. In
1: a room too, like he doesn't even have to leave a room. No, no. In costume though, the costume really makes
0: absolutely, it absolutely, absolutely.
1: Yeah. yeah. So a great cast. Greg Kinnear. Um, also, I want to shout out Alexander Skarsgard. We touched on it, but this is a guy who really takes interesting roles. And this is a role that very easily could fall into camp. And there are moments when when you can see he's having a lot of fun as Randall Flagg, but then he's super sinister. And it's almost... I mean, the guy wears a button with a smiley face on it, right? Like, this is a guy that is supposed to be charming and sinister and kind of silly and also very, very evil. And I think he does really well. Um, Warren yeah. is is... The Randall flag of this show, the Randall flag in the book?
3: Yes, far, far more so than the 1994 miniseries adaptation, which uh, I believe the actor's name was Jamie Sheridan, who played a little bit older and, and did a decent job, but there's such a seductive, dangerous quality to flag. And people who are familiar with the King universe know that this is a recurring villain. He appears in many of King's stories most recently cinematically in the uh, Dark Tower film, as played by Matthew McConaughey, which was okay, Sigh. but was, was kind <laughs> in terms of the character, I'm just going to talk about the character, was kind of a miss. McConaughey on the surface does have that same sort of... I could see McConaughey stepping into this show. As yeah, I mean... Sure. Like he wouldn't even have to yeah. do anything. Yes, I mean, and that's the thing is, he's, he's correctly cast, but in terms of the Dark Tower, it was the wrong movie. There is a very seductive, uh, attractive, very um, kind of David Koresh meets Charles Manson, this guy who's going to tell you everything that you way more attractive, though, way more attractive. But they 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 find you at your lowest point and they tell you those things that reinvigorate your soul. And they they attach themselves to you as your savior and as that person who has brought you back up. And I think that. Scar'sguard in terms of his performance has just nailed that and I think you really get that in the second episode you get a, a moment where um you really get to inhabit that character and Scar'sguard just knocks it out of the park and as the series goes on as you had mentioned here in, in this podcast here at episodes 5 and 6 you you really get to blow that character up and and really live and, and enjoy and play around in that sandbox but um Yeah, I I can't say enough about Mr. Skarsgård and his performance. I think he he nailed it. And if I had to pinpoint or lay out any other person in terms of a a standout performance, I would say it would be Brad William Henke as Tom Cullen, a man who is um, on the the spectrum, has um, uh, mental deficiencies. He is a person who's on the spectrum and has learning disabilities, but... It it is as written in the book, and it is presented pretty accurately in the show, but I think that the show does a really great job of updating that and bringing it into the sort of 2020 era as far as his speech patterns. He's got a sort of um, pre-bottled monologue that he gives to people when he meets them, and I I just can't say enough about, I think, the work the miniseries has done with that character, whereas in the book and in the original 1994 miniseries, he was very... Basic is the wrong word, but he he kind of fit into the stereotypes of that day in terms of what people who are mentally challenged or people on the spectrum could or could not do. And I think that this presentation of him as a character in this new miniseries opens him up and, and updates him for the 2020 era. But also just as an actor, Mr. Henke is doing just remarkable work in terms of humanizing him as a character and bringing him to a place where when you're watching this, as the audience, I mean, you are immediately invested in this character and you are immediately invested in his journey and the people who are involved with his journey. Um, and he's a very important character in the book. And, and as far as the miniseries is concerned, with a very small amount of screen time, I think they have elevated him into that position where as soon as you meet this guy, you, you are immediately invested in him, you immediately care for him. And I, I, I put that all down to the writing and the performance of Mr. Henke. I think it's uh, marvelous work.
1: Yeah, and and that is a character that could have gone very, very, very wrong. Totally. And um, you know, the the hired somebody who doesn't have any sort of disabilities that I'm aware of. Yeah. And again, that could have been something again that could have been a mm-hmm. bad choice. But he does it, I would say, pretty admirably, and he is yeah. kind of the
0: heart of uh, a couple episodes for sure.
3: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: He's he's. This isn't the first time he's played that kind of lovable you know, a uh, bear of a man. And he, he yeah. seems to be pretty good at it mm. before we go forward. I do want to ask Warren, is the book as balls out horny as this show has been? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked me that. Yes. Um, let me answer that.
3: Balls uh, out Horny is the name of my rock band, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> to answer your question in its most simplest form. Yes. Okay. To answer your question in a little bit more of extended form. And if you give me about, uh, 120 seconds, I'm going to do this. Stephen King is one of the horniest authors out there. <laughs> I am always amazed when I get into a new Stephen King book that I haven't read before. I'll be chatting with my wife or with friends of mine. Like, I always forget how horny Stephen King is. When this guy writes a book, and I don't care if he was in his 20s, 30s, 60s, or 70s when he wrote it, this guy is balls out all the time guys um in this series and i've only seen through six episodes we have had uh, <laughs> three separate masturbation references we have not had references people.
1: not references
3: uh it's it's, not, it's not necessarily seen. references <laughs> we are seeing or having people talk about jerking off three separate times yes. in six episodes yeah I, it, it is just astounding and, and I, I give mr cavell and, and his writing team all the credit in the world for this because there was a certain amount of horniness inherent to all of King's work, and I think The Stand does, uh, this new miniseries, does a admirable job working in without overwhelming the audience on the uh, overwhelming horniness that is inherent, not just in this work, but in all of Mr. King's work.
1: Well, so <laughs> it, it, I'm glad you brought that up also, Mike, because... Mm. Episodes... Brian, I'm sorry because you haven't seen 5 and 6, but episodes Ew. 5 and 6 introduce a new locale and let's just say every single transition to this new locale mm. is filled with
3: a lot of sex. Yeah. yeah, Lots yep. of sex. And not and, and it doesn't discriminate. We're talking, you know, yeah. vanilla sex, Everything. kinky sex, gay sex, straight sex, pan sex. We got a yeah. lot of sex.
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> and, and chainsaws.
1: Yeah. Mm. For, for, mm. for whatever yeah. reason. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it's, it's insane. It was to the point, uh, maybe this is telling too much, and I'll end up cutting this out of the podcast, but uh, my wife and I are watching it, and we were like, I could see people wanting to choose that life Yeah. <laughs> versus the alternative. And the alternative is clearly where you should be going, but there is something. There's something about what's shown in episodes five and six that seems like a lot of fun, just saying. Yeah.
2: Well, guys, you have my attention. Rubble. Can't wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um so yeah, let's let's uh finish the discussion by doing the the rankings that I teased earlier. We're gonna we're gonna leave Warren to last because that's what everybody cares about. So let's go to Brian <laughs> in the long, long, long list of Stephen King adaptations. Where does this rank? Are we talking top ten, top five, better than most, or completely terrible and you'll never watch it again?
2: Is this a complete list or is this separated by television? Or film? <laughs> just,
1: uh, just Stephen King stuff.
2: I mean, God, I was looking at the list earlier. It, it, it's Massive. incredible.
1: It's, it's ridiculous. I won't ask yeah. for a specific number ranking, but if you can give me a general ballpark.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna say it's probably falling somewhere, maybe middle to upper middle of the list. Not a bad thing, because there's some projects right in the middle that I, I really do enjoy. I mean, it's funny because in our interview. In our interview, you know, Benjamin discussed, like, how some of his favorites were, you know, not necessarily the horror-leaning kings. Like, I I love Green Mile and Shawshank and mm-hmm. and Stand By Me. Those are definitely at the top of the list. So uh, something like this, from what I can tell so far, yeah, somewhere in the middle, I mean— So
0: it's better than or, or worse than The Lawnmower Man 2?
2: I'm glad you mm. said that because uh, A <laughs> oh, oh, Lawnmower Man 2 Beyond Cyberspace, uh, yeah. <laughs> which was retitled Job's War on VHS Job's War. War. Yes. No, I, I I have a soft spot for the original Lawnmower Man. Um, so, Talking about
4: oh, uh, terrible characterizations
1: <laughs> of people on the spectrum, the, the original the Lawnmower Man movie is terrible. Now, Brian, you, you referenced Lawnmower Man, but what about... Langoliers, where does that rank in comparison oh, I mean, to the stand?
2: I, I, I joked about it off mic, but yeah, this is much better than the, the flying potatoes with teeth uh, Langoliers <laughs> uh, adaptation. Although wasn't Bronson Pinchot in that, was he not? Am I wrong about that?
1: i shocked to know that I'm not fully up to date on the Bronson Pinchot IMDb, so I can't. Uh, You're you correct, sir. Okay, okay. thank Warren, you. Warren, Warren, huge Bronson Pinchot fan, knows a yeah. huge. <laughs>
0: Perfect strangers. Okay, Uh, Mike, Mike,
1: where does this rank?
0: I mean, yeah, I like a lot of King stuff. I don't like a lot of King stuff. So I'd say this is probably in the, you know, top 10-ish, top 15-ish as far as, you know, King stuff that I've really enjoyed. Uh, But I really can't say definitively until I see it either, you know, land the plane or, or not. So we'll we'll see, you know, when we see those final couple episodes where this actually ends up. I honestly have no clue. Warren, you you have some idea of where this is headed uh, outside of the new coda that apparently has been added with uh, with Stephen King's assistance. So, yeah, I you know, it's it's solid. It's within that top 10, top 15. Yeah, I will. Uh, I will chime in and
1: say that I, I I tend to agree with Mike on where this ranks. Huge fan of The Shining love Shawshank Stand By Me uh not as high on Green Mile believe it or not um
0: yeah but uh I would say this. we've had our arguments about Dr. Sleep as well
1: yes oh (laughs) boy Dr. Sleep not a huge fan of that (laughs) I yeah I would say this is probably top 10 for me and and I'll I'll say this first again first two three episodes not clicking with me and I was kind of like oh boy trudging along here But the five and six really got my my interest peaked, especially episode six. So, uh, again, like Mike, I'm what I was going to do is I was going to uh, in preparation for for all of this read spoilers. But I've stayed far away because I I really want to see how this show uh, progresses and and the ending. So, yeah, I'm invested. I'd say top 10 king for me. Warren, where's this rank?
3: Top tier, top tier. And I I don't say that lightly, being a huge Maximum Overdrive fan. Oh, I forgot about Uh, that. (laughs) (laughs) Emilio, if you're listening, please forgive me. (laughs) Yeah, no, this is really good, man. I mean, this is really, really, really good shit. There is a certain element to the adaptation, in, in any adaptation, unless you really blow this out like we were talking about before, to like 20 hours, where you can really get this sort of God's eye view of everything that King is putting into this. Aside from that, I just don't see how anyone could really do this much better than what Mr. Cavell and and his team are doing. I, I, I put again, Stand by Me, like a lot of you guys, uh, Shawshake Redemption, Misery, right up in the uh, top misery, yeah.
0: mm-hmm.
3: oh. Um I, Shining, I kind of look at as a completely different property. I think that is Kubrick sort of. You're one of those. Well, I, he's <laughs> taking the idea of what The Shining is and being like, hey, I'm like maybe the top time top five filmmaker of all time. I'm going to take this idea and do what I want with it, and it's like, go Kubrick, do what you want. Um, I, at a certain point, I don't even see that as a King property anymore. So, if we're talking about just a pure King adaptation, I'd put this right up there with Eleven, Twenty Two, Sixty Three, Misery. I, I I would say, obviously Shawshank, it, it's right there. I think that the um, the showrunners, the writers, are making all the right decisions. They're doing as faithful of a adaptation as could be done under the circumstances. And um, emotionally and sort of spiritually in terms of the narrative arc of the book, I think they're knocking it out of the park. And I think that for anyone who's a fan of the show, this is what you've been looking for. This is what you've been waiting for. For people who don't know anything about, excuse me, the book, shouldn't say show. People who don't know anything about the book or anything about the original '94 miniseries, I think if you stick with this and if you kind of take this as a nine-hour movie, you're going to be pleased as punch. And I think that uh, there's a lot here to. Whether it's sort of a COVID identification or just pure escapism, I just want to get out and 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 feel a sort of American Lord of the Rings, which is what um, Stephen King has always intended with this story. I think you're gonna be happy, and yeah, there's there's something for everyone here.
1: I think you're you're right in the the whole idea of this as being a nine hour movie. It's very clear yeah. watching this episode to episode that this is you're you're getting chapters of a much bigger story. Yeah. This is not The Mandalorian, which shoves a, a new story, a new adventure mm. in every week. This is very yeah. much, you know, pay attention. You'll you'll be uh, very pleased with with it as it progresses. So I want to thank Warren for joining us. Without you, we would have been lost.
3: No, uh, it's, it's been my pleasure. I appreciate the lost pun there. Uh, yes, hi, yes. JJ. And uh, no, I can't wait to do again.
1: The Stand, it debuts on CBS All Access on the 17th, which is... Uh, Probably when you're listening to this and we'll be new episodes every week. Is that right, Warren? It is. Yeah. And make sure that you read the playlist because Warren will have episode by episode recaps. So if you want to really know spoilerific, what his thoughts are, those will, those will be, uh, I guess every Friday morning. So yeah, yeah no, no. come and those. see
3: us on the playlist people. I, it, we're going to get into it, baby. It's going to be great
1: yeah yeah it, it's awesome. gonna be it's, there's lots to talk about that's for sure and and specifically the horniness that will be
3: yeah. uh, we're discussed. doubling down on the horniness on these episode recaps so yeah people come to the playlist uh i promise you i will have, not hold out We should
0: have a horniness index for each oh, episode oh
3: yeah yes where have you been on my life I
0: don't, I don't
3: <laughs> i'm getting to work on the horniness index right now yeah and
1: if you're listening now, make sure you stick around. We'll be talking to showrunner Benjamin Cavell about The Stand, and, and he's going to get into a lot of the the nitty-gritty about the show, especially filming COVID and everything. It's really good, so make sure you listen to that. Thank you, Warren. Thank you, gentlemen. All right, joining us now is uh, Benjamin Cavell. He's the co-creator, showrunner, producer, writer, everything, I guess, for The Stand. Uh,
4: I don't know it, if I'm everything, but that's that's very nice of you.
1: For the purpose of this interview, you are The Stand. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, just to get started here, I think the question I had definitely going into this series was, how does somebody look at a 1,500-page book and say I'm gonna turn this into nine hours of television, which seems like a lot, but again, 1,500 pages. Did you have like a, a
4: eureka moment? Was there something where you cracked the code and you're like, "This is it"? Well, you know, it it seemed very clear to me in in going back to it. I mean, you know, I I, I had read The Stand when I was a kid, and it stuck with me. And I guess I I maybe read it again at some point, you know, uh, over the years. But when I when I sort of read it this time I guess almost three years ago with a with an eye toward doing this adaptation um, well one a couple of things jumped out one of the things was it felt it felt very clear to me that we needed to do or that that we ought to do a um, just a, a non-linear narrative that you know the the book is completely linear chronologically as is the original miniseries and it felt like in part to differentiate ourselves but it also in part because it seemed to me that I don't know we didn't want to make people sit through three episodes of the world dying before we got to the meat of our story you know which is really what comes after this this uh you know elemental struggle for the soul of what's left between flag and or the forces behind flag and the forces behind mother abigail and it just it just felt like the honest place to start was there after the the world had been kind of cleared out i mean you know it's funny obviously given the I, you know the obvious parallels between things that we're living through and and things that happen in the book, but I've never actually thought of The Stand as being a book about a pandemic. I mean, there's a pandemic in it certainly, but you know the pandemic in the book functions in large part as a as a mechanism to clear out the world, you know, so that King can do his Lord of the Rings in America, as he has said. The Stand is is for him, and you know, in order for the heroes to walk to Mordor, well, that world between uh, you know. Colorado and Las Vegas needs to be emptied out and Captain Trips is the mechanism. So I, you know, yes, the the short answer is, is it, is it daunting to approach, uh, you know, this, I don't know, iconic uh, 1200 page masterpiece? Yes. But uh, it's also, it's also very exciting because frankly, I don't know how you do it before before, there were these incredibly high-end limited series that are sort of a hybrid medium between TV and movies, you know, with where it's nine hours, but it's with feature-level casts and feature-level budget and feature-level effects. I don't know how you do it. I, I, I know that a lot of people have tried over the years to do The Stand as a feature. I, I, I can't wrap my head around it. I know George Romero tried to do it as a feature, and, and Affleck tried to develop it as a feature, and, and obviously Josh Boone. Uh, before you know before it landed at CBS all access was trying for many years to make it as a feature I, I I don't even know where you would start I you know the idea of doing it in two hours is impossible to me the idea of doing it in nine hours was almost impossible right. so yeah so that that jumped out and also the the decision we made was to you know King does this thing brilliantly um, obviously when he's writing which is I mean, he does so many things brilliantly when he's when he's writing um and one of them frankly is to is to give you access to the inner lives of his characters to the like secret thoughts and desires that they never tell anybody um so you know one of the challenges of adapting him is to get all that internal stuff and make it external and and have it play in in either things people say or gestures they make or looks on their faces or you know um but also he sometimes in the stand, very memorably, goes to this kind of 10,000 foot view of things. Do you remember that chapter? There's a, there's a chapter in the stand about, he sort of goes around and shows all these people um, dying uh, in, in really in the aftermath of the disease, just sort of dying from their isolation and their kind of inability to, to cope with what's going on. And, and the kind of punchline to each of those little vignettes is no, no great loss. Um, there, I mean, it's a, it's a very memorable section of the book, but uh, in in thinking about the adaptation, I sort of, it, it seemed very clear to me that we should stay away from that. And that the the way to do it and the way to make it, you know, really compelling um, as a show was to stay in the, you know, in the point of view of our characters so that the sense you got of the apocalypse was really their isolated sense. And I I don't know, I think that's been very true, at least in my experience, of of what we've been going through recently where, you know, so much of what's frightening about it and so much of sort of, uh, I don't know, so much of what's difficult to navigate is the lack of a kind of complete picture where you, you don't really know sort of how other people are experiencing it. And, and you know, you are kind of at the mercy of whatever information is coming to you. And and yeah, that felt, it, we, we obviously had made that decision well before, we started going through any of, of the stuff that we're going through, but it, it felt like uh, as we started to, it felt like, oh no, this, this, the, the, the version we've portrayed in which these people are all kind of, you know, we see them all struggling to sort of catch up with events and try to figure out, you know, what, what they mean and where they're all headed and, and what to try to do to protect themselves or what to try to do in response. Uh, it, It felt like, that was very true to our experience uh in the in the pandemic we're all living through where you know to a large part you felt like you're on your own to figure out how to navigate this and and how to mitigate your risk and all all sorts of things how to protect yourself and the people around you
1: well that that brings up a, another question uh, i want to skip ahead a little bit to to the idea of the pandemic that we're currently in okay just uh you guys from what i gather had a lot of this filmed pre-pandemic and then we're, we're kind of stopped in the middle of it. So at what point did you guys have to adjust the plan? And were there any like changes or, or how did it affect you guys?
4: We we really weren't in the middle. We were right at the end. I mean, our our principal photography in Vancouver, our, our last day, I mean, just on our original schedule, our last day had always been March 11th. And we wrapped on, wow. you know, daybreak day uh, of March 12th in Vancouver. And then obviously on the 13th, just everything got Shut down. So you know, the only thing we owed was we were supposed to go to Vegas for a week after that. We'd already shot a little bit in Vegas, and we were supposed to go uh, finish out in Vegas. We didn't get to do that again until August. So uh, you know, it, it didn't it didn't really change our plans fundamentally. I mean, it it certainly look it was it was very surreal as we were sitting in Vancouver, sort of you know, uh, racing to the end of principal photography and realizing that. You know, we, we were starting to hear these reports from from all over. From I mean, I guess first from China and then from Italy and and you know, and then it it had started to make its way into into New York and into the States, obviously, before we before we finished. Um, and that was yeah, I I mean it's hard to even know how to characterize it. That was so surreal to be making this show in which a pandemic features and then to sort of realize that there is a pandemic creeping toward us. Um, but as I said, you know the stands. Uh, look, we we set out to to adapt the book, and we weren't, you know, we weren't really trying to to adapt it to to events that we were going through. So, it, you know, in a it, it, maybe it sounds funny, but we really we didn't really change anything uh, about the content uh, in in response to real world events. I mean, I know that there there was a suggestion at one point. I won't even say from where, but there was a suggestion that we should we should throw in some some lines, some ADR stuff about, oh, this is even worse than COVID <laughs> or something, to sort of acknowledge that right. this is another iteration. But that I, I I was firm about that and I and I and I think we made the right decision to, you know, to say, no, no, our conceit is that this world of our show was instead of being hit by COVID in 2020, was hit by Captain Trips. And, you know, it just, for one thing, it, it just felt so dishonest to to pretend that a bunch of scenes that we had shot, you know, before anybody had ever heard of COVID would play the same way. Uh, you know, like, as Captain Trips starts to break out, they're in public places, people start coughing. That doesn't play the same way now. Uh, you know, in the in the wake of COVID, as it did before, and I think, you know, and and look, part of what's part of what's scary, I think, and part of what's interesting is to get to see, get to see a world that's completely unprepared for anything like this. As look, as we were, uh, in whenever in at the beginning of this year, and as we're. No longer as we no longer feel. I mean, now if a, a pandemic started to spread, I think we would all react very, very differently, um, just given what we learned in the last, I don't know, nine, 10 months.
2: Yeah, and you, you mentioned something about um, adapting and, you know, just kind of winding things back a little bit. Uh, the Shining, I mean, that seems to be the best of the King films, and King just sort of dislikes that because of how much that film cut from his book and change things. Obviously, you know, there's some big changes in The Stand. Just kind of going into a project like that uh, or with The Stand, do you feel pressure to stay faithful to that source material and get King's approval? Or are you willing to make changes in service of the show first? I mean, what are your thoughts
4: on all that? Yeah, I mean, we had to be willing to make changes in the service of the show. And I, I don't actually... I don't think I ever felt pressure certainly not external pressure to be faithful I the the pressure I felt was to was to do right by it I mean in some you know in some sort of large way and and you know and uh, honestly that that came from King too like he he didn't seem precious about a, a you know any particular piece of the book at least not that he kind of shared with us or me maybe in part because whatever he felt precious about was stuff that we would never in a million years consider changing um so he never had reason to perhaps but i mean you know the thing that i know we all felt i mean that i felt but really you know every member of the cast felt and 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 the crew i mean I, you know was to was to really live up to this iconic book that had meant so much to all of us, so much to so many people, and to do a, a righteous adaptation that, you know, that would feel faithful. I mean, I think in, you know, it, but for the timeline, which obviously we've, you know, we've made changes to and 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 made nonlinear. I think it's really a very faithful adaptation of the book. I mean, you know, really most of the big memorable events and scenes, uh, at least for us, for the, for the people working you know are are all are all there in one form or another and and we tried to both update it uh you know 40 plus years and and ground it as much as we could as much as the real book is grounded in the reality of 1978 we really tried to ground this book in the reality of 2019 2020 uh so you know those those are kind of the big changes we made and obviously having king you know read all our drafts and and sign off on directors, sign off on cast, and having Owen King in the writers' room with us, and and as a producer on the show, you know that that felt, I guess, that felt very freeing, just because it felt like we were we were sort of protected in the sense that if we ever started to go too far afield, there was always King himself or or Owen King, you know, there to pull us back. By the way, not that they ever once had to. I mean, I you know there was no there was no desire on any of our parts to to really stray from the book i mean you know the book is what the book is what brought us together kind of i, I you know i I've, I've actually never been on a show where and, and it again it wasn't just the cast it was every member of the crew every department i mean i i i keep telling this story and it's just it's just true and it blew me away i you know our head electrician brought in his signed first edition of the stand like in the, in this plastic case to protect it and he wanted to show it to me like that that just doesn't happen, uh, you know, on most shows. And it was so inspiring to, you know, be surrounded by hundreds of people who are all like kind of desperate to bring their a game and, and, you know, sort of do justice to this. It's really, yeah, it was energizing.
1: Did you, uh, were there moments on set when you're making a decision or a change and you look over to your electrician to get his nod of approval? (laughs) I don't,
4: don't, I'm not sure that I ever look for his approval. I, I, uh, I think, I, you know, look, I, in order to, in order to make our show and have it, I mean, honestly, in order to, in order to feel like we were doing right by the book, I mean, our, our show had to take on its own, its own logic. We had to, we had to sort of make decisions about what would fit in our aesthetic and, and in the way we were telling the story. And, and obviously, I mean, that was very, that became much easier when King, you know, made it clear that he really supported the the direction we were going you know in part in part by agreeing to do this this coda that that he's done for us you know and and he had sort of i guess he had hinted early on that he had been thinking about this thing for 30 years and and you know he had thought about well maybe maybe i want to kind of do a new ending to it but then he saw the first couple of drafts of of what we were doing and he really sparked to them and he really you know supported the the direction that we were taking it and and said you know okay i i i want to do this thing i want to do this coda and it was like all right well how do we make that happen you know what do you need from us because that was just a dream and uh and it still is i mean the idea that he trusted us with you know this this thing that he had been he he had been planning for 30 years it was a a, a, you know a, a further story of in one of his maybe his most beloved work i was just yeah like a dream come true so uh, so
0: so that new ending that coda uh that you're talking about yeah had already been developed by king years ago or he kind of readjusted
4: it or how did that come about um well he hadn't he hadn't written it but he had been i mean i i guess at least in his telling to to us or to me um, you know, he had really been, it had been taking shape in his mind for 30 years. And then, you know, uh, at a, essentially when he decided he wanted to do it, he just sort of, uh, we, he, he had a conversation with me in which is essentially he asked, okay, where, where are you guys ending? So I know where I can pick up, you know, and, and, and tell my further story. And it was like, you know. I I told him and and I really did say you know just any anything you need from us to to make this to make this easier and make it happen you know just just let us know and and yeah I don't want to I guess I don't want to spoil anything about Dakota certainly and I don't want to say too much about it just because it will be new to everybody but I I think I can say that the the genesis of it and you know a reason I mean in addition to all the other reasons that I got so excited when he when he first mentioned it but the the genesis of it for him was that it it always aided him that Franny never got to participate in the stand. You know, that, that Franny is one of the main heroes of the book that when they leave on the stand in the book, she's, you know, seven months pregnant. She's not going to be able to walk across the Rocky mountains with them to Vegas, but you know, it always, it always felt like a kind of, I don't know, like a, like a, like a hanging thread or something for, for King, you know, it really always galled him that, you know, this, this hero uh, of the book ha- was sort of sidelined in the climax you know in the in the ultimate confrontation with flag she just can't be there so the coda exists in king's mind or or the the coda was inspired certainly for king as you know a way to give franny her stand that's yeah. great
1: um i i yeah. was also curious because um we're, we're talking about changes that you made and joking about your electrician's approval. So one of the biggest changes, I think, and we're not going to spoil it, but one of the biggest changes uh, is in the book, Captain Tripp's, the genesis of how it spread is sort of alluded to, but it's ambiguous. You know, we, we know how it spread, like, you know, with with the first gentleman on the base and all that, but uh-huh. it's never said whether or not there is an evil force behind that your show kind of takes a a a stand so to speak and and says (laughs) this is how it spread uh and and answers a question that kind of has been lingering with with book readers was that something you guys were like well for the show this has to happen or was this something that uh just kind of came naturally
4: yeah I mean well we we did feel that we we needed to we needed to show kind of that moment of of the of the monster getting out of lab um but we also I, I i mean i'm 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 interested i don't want to spoil it either i'm but i'm i'm very interested in in your take on it because we were we were trying to walk a line where you know uh, uh, flag flag is i mean flag is a lot of things and an iconic king character but he is i think above all an opportunist and uh, you know we we don't want to imply certainly that he engineered this this virus or even that he that he caused the the accident itself that you know causes that that woman to even come across private Campion uh in the in the you know decontamination room um but we we did we did want to show that you know he's as i said he's an opportunist he's always watching and and i think that is true to the book that he's sort of you know, when these, uh, I don't know, when these kind of waves of uh, upheaval or revolution seem to start spreading. I mean, th- again, this is, for me, my my reading of the book is that he always kind of, you know, senses them and tries to put himself at the center. So that is that is certainly our intent, that he kind of he, he is attuned to this thing happening to this, to this accident in the lab. And then once, once that's gone on, he's going to do everything possible to sort of facilitate it, you know, becoming a situation that it plays to his advantage, which obviously for a while he's able to, he's right. able to make happen. So uh, just in the sense of,
0: you know, the platforms that you're taking on, I know you've worked a kind of, pretty much across the whole spectrum of what you can work on TV. You, you've done like premium cable shows, you've done streaming, you've done standard TV. Is there, you know, uh, is there has there been a variance of freedom that you've experienced? Oh, Is there a preference that you really, you know, have yeah, when it abso- comes to, to making a show?
4: Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've only done one, one season in, in broadcasts, you know, I, I created a show for, um, for a broadcast network. And, and I loved, it. I'm very proud of the season we did of that show. I just, I, I look, I had always, i always been interested in what that was, you know, cause my first, my first experience of TV was Unjustified, which obviously is not a broadcast show and, and, you know, went for six seasons and, and was, you know, 13 episodes a year. I mean, it was, it was very, it was very privileged in in some way that i really wasn't aware of cuz it was my my first tv job we're big um, walton goggin's fans oh <laughs> my god how can you not be uh, that guy is just brilliant and a and a wonderful <laughs> guy i mean just beautiful um yeah and i uh, i mean can't say uh, every performance is interesting um so yeah i you know the 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 exciting thing about this was uh, for me that you know, and I, and I guess I, I said it before, but this just being able to, to play in this new medium, you know, this new kind of hybrid TV feature medium where you're doing, I mean, I, I guess it's, it's a little facile to say that you're doing a nine hour feature. I mean, we, we are, we did, but also obviously all of the nine, you know, are standalone chapters and have a beginning, middle and end, and hopefully a, a you know, propulsive, you uh, propulsive, visceral momentum uh, from one episode to another. But yeah, I mean, you know, this, this, in some way, this was a a little bit of a last frontier for me. I I mean, it had just, I'd never done a a limited series before, you know, I'd always been on, on ongoing series. And it just seemed like, it just seemed like it was so exciting. It was so exciting to do, and, and, and especially to do this, this iconic book, you know, uh, decades after, it had last been done, and even more decades after it first came out, but to get to adapt it and update it in in a in a new medium that's that's pretty exciting and 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 hard to turn down as it as it turns out
0: yeah, and probably as far as visual media, probably the medium that you'd want to see a, a something like the stand on i I myself yeah. am like a virgin to the stand in general oh. I haven't read the book, I haven't seen the ninety four series. Um so this is all new to me and it's it's coming across very well. I can't see oh, so how glad. they they would have
4: made this into a film like you said earlier. I, 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 so it, much content. I, no, it's it's sort of mind-boggling. I don't I I don't get it. I I don't know how you do it justice. So I'm so glad we didn't have to. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so that's kind of a a good segue here like we saw it stretch over two films still large chunks were cut out and there's other King projects that start with, I guess we'll say some loose inspiration from the source and kind of go from there. Then you have epic series such as yours that are able to kind of just relax and chill and live in the world a little bit more. Given the fact that King writes stories that seem to kind of border on epic and dense, do you think his stories are best suited for TV?
4: You know, I, I think one of the things that, that defines king is is sort of his his eclecticism i i'm not sure i'm pronouncing that right but his the 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 really sort of wide-ranging i mean i know you know so many people associate him with being a a, you know a horror author but that's really not the way i think of him and 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 it was never the king that i really gravitated to you know uh, my my sort of relationship with king as a reader has always been more about frankly about books like the stand which i really don't think of as a classic horror book you know i mean again he's he's been upfront about it being his attempt to do lord of the rings in america and and that's how i think of it as a as more of a sort of fantasy adventure book you know i i mean i loved it i loved pet cemetery i loved the shining when i was a kid but those never those never appealed to me i guess certainly as things you know when i when i started really understanding that i wanted to be a writer and that i i didn't know what that meant whether it meant books or Magazines or or you know movies or anything, but I wanted to write things, and I knew that you know I, I didn't really want to write it or The Shining, much as I loved those as a reader, but you know something like The Stand, or by the way, something like The Running Man, which I know feels very different from The Stand, but is not classic horror and is this sort of you know imaginative uh, uh, adventure and in, in a in a dystopian you know future. Um, that was the kind of stuff that i really gravitated towards so yeah i don't i mean it's certainly for the stand this is how you need to do it you know for shawshank redemption i think a feature's perfect you know and and for stand by me i think a feature per- i mean he's just uh, you know what what can you say about king i mean he's inspired so many different works and so many different genres and so many different mediums it, it's just uh, you know it's pretty staggering
1: yeah before we let you go i uh I'm sure you've had this question before but now that you've tackled the stand and and presumably you're wrapping this up uh do you have your eyes on another king book is there like a, a one that you have in the back of your head that you're like i gotta take my
4: stab at this I, honestly i just i just mentioned it i i uh the running man I, you know i i just loved since i was a kid and and look i the schwarzenegger movie is really fun but you know it, it's a schwarzenegger movie and that's what it exists to be and it's sort of it's got this pro wrestling aesthetic i mean and look if you guys if you guys just oohed when i said the running man i i guess it suggests that you you know the you know the novella you know that's it's very different from the movie obviously and and i think in in a lot of ways it's it's just more interesting and more relevant especially to all sorts of stuff we're talking about now in this reality tv kind of competition game show era anyway i would love to do the running man as a limited series that i i've sort of i've been chasing it for a little while the paramount um is apparent you know has it in the works i guess as a as a feature or at least in a in the theoretical works as a feature i'm i'm not that interested in features i don't really think it's a place for a writer uh i mean or or you know or even uh, yeah i i just anyway if 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 they don't make it as a feature i am very much hoping to uh (laughs) to be able to to pull it in as a as a as a limited series follow-up to this i just think god it would be dynamite
1: well if you do and i know the the feature film with Schwarzenegger is very different. You have to have a uh, some sort of Schwarzenegger appearance, right? Like it just has to happen. I hope
4: so. A Schwarzenegger appearance, a, a Jesse Ventura appearance, a Jim yeah. Brown appearance, yeah. I, all of the above. I'm, <laughs> I'm completely there. I just want it super serious, though. You know, like take it seriously <laughs> and just have all. That. Oh, oh, believe me. No, I, I, I agree. I, I, I frankly, yes. I don't think it needs to be camped up nearly in the in the way that the movie is. I mean, you don't want to you don't want to take yourself too seriously. And I hope we walk that line with the stand where, you know, as, as King himself does where, you know, there's certainly humor in it. Um, but no, I, I, I think the the running man is, is due for a really grounded, interesting kind of, and, and frankly, more faithful adaptation than, uh, than the original.
1: Yeah. And, and I agree. And, and just real quick, before we let you go, we have a limited time uh, without spoiling anything was, were my ears, correct that there is a breaking bad
4: easter egg early on in the series with without spoiling anything your ears were utterly correct
1: very good okay that's all i need to know and when other people watch they'll, they'll
4: immediately hear so very good yes i may i may think of it you'll forgive me as a sneaky pete easter egg but yes oh, yes okay no no fair I'm enough. completely kidding i breaking yeah. bad is i think the greatest television show of all time so yes okay uh there is an easter egg
1: good 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 all right well thanks for joining us uh benjamin cavell and uh for everybody watch the stand it's really good so we'll uh, talk to you soon and and thanks for joining us
4: all right it was wonderful to be with you guys thank you so much
0: all right thanks for your a time, time.
4: Thank yes you. thank you